Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. Uh, it's a landmark day here on the Feeling Scene podcast. Uh, one of, I will say, one of my favorite podcasters, really, at this point. Um, you, you know his work, I would imagine. You know the bridesmaids. <laughs> you know, you know, as Sandra Bullock would say, the fucking heat. You know, one of the, one of the most joke dense, unbelievably <laughs> funny comedies of the 21st century, Spy. Um, you, there's just so much, you know, freaks and geeks, you know, a simple favor. If you know me and you know nothing else, my co-host today, the writer, the director, the producer, now the back to being the prolific maker of television, Paul (laughs) Feig. How are you today? And what else do the people need to know? Um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people are going like, oh, no, not him again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, show, I show up on your shows a lot, Jordan, because I love you. And, uh, and hey, it's listen, just so if, they, if that's their reaction, they can unsubscribe. They yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, screw them. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, I, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the School for Good and Evil, I've been working on that for two and a half years. Uh, oh and it God. comes out. October 19th on Netflix. And uh, yeah, it's just, uh, I'm really proud of it. And then Welcome to Flatch, uh, one of the shows I produce and, and direct on is uh, on Fox at uh, nine o'clock on Thursdays. And oh, the, wow. the second okay. season, super funny. And so then, are you overlapping press tours right now? Or are you doing all School for Good and Evil as you're trotting around the world? Yeah, it's all School for Good and Evil. It's like okay. a second season of a show you don't usually do much press for. Sadly, I would love to, but uh, but watch <laughs> it. It's a funny show and we need the ratings. <laughs> <laughs> Never on Hulu too. You can watch us on Hulu, but but watch it on watch it on the network because that that means the ratings they get. <laughs> what is the school for good and evil about? Just so we have that yeah. on record for the people. Yeah, I mean it's based on a series of of young adult books, um, but it's it's about these two young women who live in a small town somewhere in another part of time or whatever, and it's mm. a very backwards town. One is a girl who really wants to be a princess, and the other is the daughter of a witch. Mm. Um, and the princess finds out about the school for evil where they train a heroes and villains uh, for fairy tales, and she applies to it, and they get swept away to the place, but then she gets dropped into the school for evil and the witch mm-hmm. gets dropped into the school for good and then it's all about figuring out a meditation on uh, on who's good who's evil what are we are we all of it are we nothing and then a lot of fun and a big big effects during the during the <laughs> during the ride if you will <laughs> hmm. um well that getting so this is this is a fantasy film which i feel yeah. like this let's let's have that plant the seed for our conversation here today about mm-hmm. the character in the movie that you have chosen for us to discuss today. Yes. Who are we discussing today, Paul? We are going to talk about uh, uh, Richard Dreyfuss's character of uh, Roy in uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the Steven Spielberg classic. I I rewatch mm-hmm. I was been I've been rewatching it and I, it, I got like the whatever anniversary like UHD edition was whatever I ended up <laughs> renting and God this movie still looks uh, incredible it's so well shot it's it, I think it's his I mean I love you know I'm Raiders it made me want to become a director but this I think is his best directed because it looks so real you mm-hmm. know he really. Everything down from when they have to stage that whole gas attack and everybody's running. It's just it's got this energy to it and it's just beautiful and, and it's so affecting. Um, but his character, you know, the, the irony about this movie is it's funny. I became a movie director because when I saw this is, you know, this was back in I mean, was it 76 or something like that. So I was, you know, a freshman and, or even younger than that, I think. Um, and 
I used to watch movies as if they were kind of real life. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like the Marx Brothers movie, I want to be Groucho Marx because he's so funny. Yeah. You know, I want to be, the, I didn't think like, oh, people make these. Right, <laughs> and, right. And so Close Encounters was almost like a documentary to me. Wow. And I came out of that just going, I want to be picked up by aliens and taken <laughs> away from all my bullies and all the shit that I have to go through in my uh -huh. small town of Michigan at the time. Well, actually, Ty West kind of like I just had him on a, a recent episode and he said something similar where like he loved movies, but it was the movie we talked about was Peter Jackson's Bad Taste. And oh, that yeah. was the first time he ever watched a movie where he really felt like, oh, someone made this. Yeah. People yeah. make the I could make this. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, it would be, they were these like spectacles of, of fantasy, you know, come to life. And then suddenly yeah. it felt tangible and it felt real to him. Yeah. And for me, that was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm. Uh, you know, I was a tour guide at Universal Studios uh, in the summer of 81. And um, a bunch of tour guides were like, hey, we're going to go see opening opening morning of this new movie, wow. Spielberg movie. You know, I got I, honestly, I didn't kind of didn't really even know who Steven Spielberg was. I'd heard his name, but I didn't know what directors did. Yeah. You know, but then I went and watched this movie. And that's the first time I watched this audience go crazy. I mean, you know, that that scene where the boulder comes rolling down after him in the beginning now yeah. it, you know, it's, it's part of history and we just go oh yeah it's that thing that nobody had ever seen that before uh -huh, so uh -huh. literally when that happened the audience the entire audience at the man chinese stood up and they were cheering and screaming and, and, and it was not just like oh shit this is what a director can do and that was the moment like it all switched to my head of like oh i want to do that <laughs> So how old were you when you saw Close Encounters? Is this a theater movie for you or was yeah. this later on? Okay. Oh, wow. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we were such sci-fi nerds that we would just go, my friend Mike and I, my next door neighbor, who was my, my babysitter and my best friend. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I Listen, my babysitter uh, that I and my sister grew up with, that second family, we go there for Christmas, we go there for Thanksgiving. I support mm -hmm. babysitters as uh, best friends. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he was probably you know, he was like three years older than me. Yeah. Which, but yeah, so we, we would every time there'd be a new, new sci-fi movie we would rush out and see it opening opening day or opening morning uh and so yeah we we saw that in the theater i i mean again i don't i forget it came out in 76 or... 1977 1977 so I was, I was a sophomore in high school so i was 15 i guess and uh yeah it wow. just blew my mind yeah, this is uh, it, this is the story of a of a small town man. Uh, well, it's a story of many people, but uh, Roy Neary is a small town man played by Richard Dreyfuss. He has a family. Played I every time I watch a movie and I get to see Terry Gar on screen again, oh. I get so happy. I love Terry Gar. Yes, um, she plays his put upon wife and he has three children and this is it's an interwoven story there's a government cover-up there's military operations here mm -hmm. but roy is kind of our human face roy and jillian yeah and they are two people who have close encounters mm -hmm. that enters the story very early on into the movie and then they are overwhelmed with a with a a, a vision of a, mm -hmm. of a mountaintop that turns out to be a location in Wyoming that they, like a pilgrimage, must go to and they sort of forsake all other concerns in their life to get there with the added detail for Jillian that her son has been kidnapped by aliens. So obviously right. she's a little single-mindedly obsessed right. to go find them. But Roy is just like compelled from within his soul to mm -hmm. go to these aliens. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And, and it's, it's I mean, it is, it's a real Peter Pan story. It, it's, not, <laughs> it, it's not a very, it's a very arrested development yeah. Male, sorry. So let's get that out of the way right now. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you got Terry Gar is the you know his oh, the wife. Warms my heart so much. Roy, look, don't talk about this until you know what you're talking about, okay? Honey, that's crazy. If I can't talk about it, then how am I gonna know what's going on? What? Mom, I can't believe it. 
No, he does not. Do you, Roy? Ronnie, all I want to do is 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 know what's going on. But nothing is going on. It's just one of those things. Which things? Which things? Oh, she's the best. And, you know, I, I worked with her. Actually, I did a, a Christmas movie called Unaccompanied Minors, and she was in it. And so I actually got to work with Terry Gar finally and tell tell her of my my undying love for her. <laughs> completely weirded her out, I'm sure. <laughs> Meet my wife. She looks like you. I was like, oh, let me out of here. <laughs> so you go to see these sites. I, I, we talked about this uh, recently on the Disaster Podcast when you were there for... Oh gosh, what is the title of the amazing movie? The fifty movie, nineteen fifty movie that you just brought. Oh, oh when, when worlds collide. collide. When worlds yes, collide. Yes. And you talked about like you know just this was the ritual was to go to see all these kinds of movies in theaters. Yeah. So what was it about Roy and Richard Dreyfuss's performance that really jumped out to you amidst all of these movies that you would go see? Why was it this one that you were like, this has yeah. got something extra? Well, it was it was the it was a circumstance first of all because you know I I was a bullied kid and mm-hmm. you know I had I had good friends and everything and great parents so it wasn't like I you know was dying or whatever but right. at the same time it was just like oh I like get me out of this place you know mm-hmm. small town Michigan at that time was everything was judgmental and all this stuff so and I was really just into the idea of UFOs and in mm-hmm. astronomy and space and all that stuff so when I saw it, it was it was a combo. First of all, just the idea. First, it's just so well made that you're just oh, immediately God. like thrilled. That that first scene, well, that's one of the greatest openings of a movie ever. And there's it's yeah. nothing other than people in a room watching a screen. But the, mm-hmm. with the there's these um, uh, flight controllers, uh, you know, air traffic controllers, and they're talking to us, and they they hear a, a plane almost get hit by a, a UFO, and it's done so well, and it's shot so well, and that would you're just like. You're in this Watching, movie. Like, there's just like suddenly there's more people around and there's more people around in this steadily gathering crowd of like, what's going on over there? Yeah. And you're just watching these two numbers on this very old, you know, computer readout, om- like almost hit. That was really close. Series 31 is out of 340 on the traffic pass. Ask them if they want to report officially. UWA-517, do you want to report a UFO? And then you hear this audio of the guy, you know, this kind of crackling sounds is like, do you want to report it? Uh, No, I don't want to report that. I don't know what I just saw. So that and then you immediately go and meet Roy, who works for the power company. He's like, Mm -hmm. a you know, power line man or whatever. And he's driving at night and has this close encounter in his truck. But it's all from his point of view. So you're what's great about that movie is you're always with him, you know, Mm -hmm. and He's in this truck and this thing comes over and it shines a light on him. And then suddenly the truck's like moving around. Everything in the truck is flying around, but he gets kind of zapped. And I think that's where he gets implanted with this idea where the aliens kind of plant it. Plant mm-hmm. it. Basically, he's the chosen one. Right, right. And by the aliens to come with him, come with them, which mm-hmm. so that I'm just like, oh, my God, I love that. Also, he was, again, a very arrested development kind of guy. So mm-hmm. I really related to that as a kid because I, I, you know, I didn't have I was too nervous to talk to girls or anything like that. So, <laughs> you know, didn't. I mean, that's the character, this this adult man with three children and you as a, as like a 13 year old being like that. I get that guy. Yeah. Oh, no, totally. Is what you mean, <laughs> why He's just another kid in the house. You know, Like she yes. calls him Jiminy Cricket. That's, you know, that's her like nickname for him. Yep. Yep. Um, and then just the fact that he's that he's been chosen for this mm-hmm. 
and becomes obsessed with it is just I don't I just I love that because he was so special mm-hmm. because he'd been picked by another world. Yeah. I, you know, I'm into science and stuff, and it was always everybody's like, there's no UFOs. Like all the science people, like, there's no other, there's no UFOs, there's no other civilizations. It's a miracle that we exist. And I'm like, that's impossible. It can't it's impossible. The, the universe is is infinite. You're telling me that's the only time it added up is here. So, you know, <laughs> so this is just supporting everything I always thought, which mm-hmm. is you know that they're out there and all that. <laughs> yeah, and then just just him getting obsessed. This means something. But now here's the thing. Did you watch like the special edition it's called? Um, I don't think I did. Okay. Well, what what happened was, and this, I've always found this kind of a bummer. It, the original movie that came out had this great scene. And tell me if it was in the one you saw where he becomes obsessed with the, uh, with that mountain uh-huh. and he starts going around his neighborhood, pulling up neighbors like, Plants no, and trees. I didn't see that. I think I probably saw what came right after, which is him in his living room holding a, yeah. ho- holding a tree, a yes. small tree, and like th- putting leaves on the side of of the mountain in his living room. Well, he, well, okay. So backstory on this, which is he made he made the movie. He wanted to have a sequence at the end where you go inside the uh, the spaceship. Mm-hmm. The studio didn't want to pay for it and, and wouldn't let him do it. So he oh he always stewed over that. So then when the movie came out, it was a giant hit. He said, now I want to go back and shoot the special edition and we'll go inside the spaceship. But clearly what happened was they made him horse trade because it made the movie too long. Oh. And so the scene got taken out. And it's always bugged me because it's the greatest scene. It's so funny. It's just him going around the neighborhood, like grabbing chicken wire and the neighbors, you know, ducks all run away and he's yeah. pulling <laughs> stuff and throwing it through the windows and just a man obsessed who yeah. built a giant mountain in his living room. What are you, what are you doing? What do you mean? You really love this. Right? What are you doing? Come on, man. But it make it builds to it. Now in that special edition, it's just suddenly it's there and you're like, what the fuck? You know? Yeah, there's just we suddenly pull back and there is there is the mountain in his living room. Yeah, so it kind of loses that that punch that I loved because I go like, Oh my God, this is a guy who's so obsessed, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so uh, it has a purpose, you know, he, he felt very important to me, you know, uh-huh. it, it, kind of a kid who was trying to figure out his place in the world and was bullied and all that. You go like, wow, if you had that singularity of purpose, because you have been chosen to be that important that you could right. actually be antisocial and just tear everything up <laughs> in the cause of good, you know, supposedly that, supposedly. Yeah. So that I just kind of like, that's, amazing so i i think i really just responded to that but you know again i mean the movie is just so well made the sound design of the the light i never seen lighting like that before the lighting god even when in the scene when when jillian's little boy gets taken mm. and just like the lighting and the sound all around and through the house the oranges oh. and the blues it is so rich and gorgeous oh there's that shot they're in the like the living room or whatever in the, the the lights going up outside of the blinds and they're uh-huh. like huddling and it's one of the most compelling 
like visceral shots I've ever seen. And I just like, I would just like choke up and like get teary eyed watching that. Cause it's, over, it's overwhelming. I get overwhelmed uh-huh. in movies. I don't get sad because, <laughs> because of emotion. Uh-huh. I get overwhelmed by like something so wonderful or the music and the imagery come together so much that I just like, I can't breathe. And that's like one of those sequences. Every time I watch it, I'm just a disaster. It's just so gorgeous. Ultimate movie moments. I mean, those are the things as a director, we're always like, when can that happen? Like, I, I got one sequence in my new movie that, that I have that too. I'm just like, I, I get so like happy and emotional watching it. Cause it, you know, came together in that way. So uh, yeah. So, you, you know, all about those moments that are what really connect you. Now. So if this, like, this is, this is like, the biggest sci-fi fantasy thing that you've done, School for Good and Evil, you mm-hmm. you grew up going to these movies constantly. Yeah. What, so has it been sort of like, has working in that thing that sort of raised you a little bit in, in the movie house, has getting into that kind of genre and that sandbox yeah. been kind of like a long game? Like, I'm going to get to a point where I'm going to, I'm going to be able to use the tips and tricks I learned from the Close Encounters kind of in the Raiders kinds of movies. Yeah. I mean, that's I, all I've ever wanted to do were, were kind of bigger movies, um, but not so much fantasy. Um, mm. It was always wanted to be sci-fi. I wanted to do yeah. like big sci-fi. Like my, my biggest regret in life is that I didn't invent Star Wars, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm like, oh, why couldn't that have been me? You know, I don't want all the fan blowback now that George Lucas gets, although right. I, think I know what that's like after doing a movie called Ghostbusters. But um, <laughs> uh, but I still stand by. Uh, no, thank you. But, you know, but it's that that I don't know. There's something about creating a big franchise that people care about so much mm-hmm. that it just I, I just love the idea that and the big, big movies, because I like big, you know, you and I were maximalists, you know. We yes, like we absolutely people. are. Yeah. And so, you know, my other, you know, I feel like all my movies are kind of maximalist, but spectacle, like emotional spectacles, you know, yeah, yeah. Like everything's just like all these, the emotional stakes are high. So that's kind of <laughs> scratch that itch. But when I get to do it with, you know, with design and creatures and building all this stuff and then special effects, you know, it, it, like my goal has always been, I want to do practical special effects. That's all. Yeah. I miniatures. We've talked about we miniatures. We talked all about this. Exactly. I know. So, you know, but I think <laughs> that's why Star Wars blew my mind. And that's why um, Close Encounters blew my mind. I mean, the first time you see that mothership, which, you know, now it's a famous shot once again, but right. I, my head exploded when they came out because I'd never seen something that big, like mm-hmm. portrayed that big. I mean, that thing comes, it's the entire horizon. This thing comes up and they yeah. build to it so beautifully. You know, it's kind of all the little ones are going, you know, the little spaceships that are all lit up are kind of dancing around the sky and you think mm-hmm. that's over. You yeah. know, everybody like applauds and the, you know, the that secret mountaintop or whatever. And then all of a sudden you hear that big, and then this thing just, you, that rumbling and like where I think there's a shot of, of Richard Dreyfus like, or no, it, it's it's uh, Melinda, you know, Melinda Dillon. Yeah. She's kind of leaning up in these rocks, and all of a sudden you see just behind her this kind of, you know, light come up in this mm-hmm. piece of a giant thing. And, and then they reveal this enormous mothership. And, you know, that blew my mind. And then when I, you know, with all my 
Starlog magazines and all that stuff. <laughs> read and they would say they would see them building the model, you know, mm-hmm. and how they would pirate all these. They get, you know, uh, like uh, model airplanes from World War Two and they just take all the pieces and glue them all over this thing. And, you know, it, it, it just all it all made it feel real to me mm-hmm. because it actually existed somewhere. This thing. It it's still I'm a sucker for oh give me any opening shot with a spaceship flying in from the top of the screen <laughs> exactly. and overtaking the whole like that every time I will be like oh see, yeah like oh, that yeah. will get me no matter what because it just like you feel the scope of it so much yeah. and like that is still what what can get me about like Star Wars stuff mm-hmm. like I remember like my I think my favorite shot from I think it was the fourth Force Awakens was. Just a wide shot on, I think it's Jakku, the, mm. whatever the planet is that Ray lives on, and it's just an Imperial cruiser crashed into the oh, yeah. background. That's and an it's awesome. like that's real. That's they went to so a place cool. where there's an Imperial cruiser grounded in the <laughs> desert, and that's why they filmed there because that's where that is. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Do you find that like what is it that you with how like obviously proliferate uh and, and incredible visual effects have have become like at mm. a massive scale? What do you find still takes your breath away as a moviegoer, as somebody who was raised, like, as it was happening for the first time, experiencing for the first time, the close encounters mothership coming into the frame? Where do you look to for that now? Or is it still those older movies and revisiting them that that gives that feeling? I mean, not to sound like an old guy, I think it is kind of those older movies. Because now Mm -hmm. I know everything is CG. It's not as fun for me to watch that stuff because I kind of go like a video game. You know, that's why with this movie, the movie I just finished, I try to do as much practical stuff as I could Mm -hmm. because, you know... nothing look i'm an old guy i was an opening (laughs) opening weekend of star wars you know and a friend of mine went went to the very first show he somehow because i was in school or had a test i couldn't go and they Mm -hmm. he bought like this program they were selling it at the thing so it just had all these stills from the movie and i was just like oh my god i couldn't believe it Mm -hmm. and so then when i was sitting there with my mom (laughs) my mom took me because i you know was 13 or whatever yeah um i'm just sitting in my seat like like my heart was Pounding and I was numb. The lights <laughs> went down, you know, and then that, you know, in a galaxy far, far away, that thing comes up in silence and you're just like, what? And then that, that you know, that, you know, the score yeah. and just the Star Wars thing goes away from you into space. And then that thing, it's just like, I mean, it was, I was just like transported and, and like couldn't breathe. <laughs> you had, you know, I'd been watching all the movies like when worlds collide and you know these things they're yeah. in, you know, old flash gordon reruns and stuff which are all just goofy and you know but cool i thought that was cool so then to see something go like that's a model but it's real well, yeah. how does that work so i i just haven't i haven't honestly gotten that kind of juice from from effects in movies I'm trying to what's kind of mm. blown me away i honestly think more things like um everything everywhere all at once like yeah. that the bagel i was kind of like because how it hits has to be something you've never seen before yeah they're doing it on a computer but you're like oh my god that's an image i never would have even come yeah up with my myself. brain would never have computed that to make it of anything or even imagine it yeah totally totally I, you know and honestly i think i get more amazed now by like insane stunts you know like so- i feel like i think that's a really great point i was thinking that while you were talking i was like you know what like i feel like the thing that presses that button for me now is like action spectacle yeah like just the the physical where like when you can't substitute it Mm -hmm. for like a cgi situation or it's people on wires maybe but like 
incredible fight choreography. People yeah. really putting oh my God. anything Michelle Yeoh does. Yeah. People really putting their bodies on the line yeah. to demonstrate to you that the thing you will be most in awe of that is in front of you right now yeah. is the thing that the human will be doing mm-hmm. against whatever extravagant uh, <laughs> generated world exists around and behind them. But it's like, yeah. but wow, look what she can do. Oh, oh, totally. I mean, you know, Jackie Chan's uh, Drunken Master 2. I just, I, I can't believe that. I mean, this is a fight under a train with, the, these, <laughs> with these long uh, uh, like spears. And then there's a fight in this restaurant that's the greatest thing ever when he's just, but he's always in a panic. You know, because about <laughs> yeah, not to get killed. Panic. So that's what makes it so funny. He's not like a cool guy. He's actually like this mm-hmm. normal guy who just happened to have these really great abilities to save himself. Yeah. Um, you know, but but then, you know, on the on the stunt thing also, it's like one of the Nolan. I forget which Nolan Batman it was, but where like that bus is going and it blows up so that it like the back end flips up. So like he f- yeah, I think that's Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, you flip a bus from the back Dark lengthwise. And mm-hmm. I was like, holy shit. And then I found out they really did that. So I'm like, okay, I'm amazed by that. Like, you can get all the <laughs> yeah. creatures you want, but like, blow a bus up that way, and I am a, a puddle. <laughs> <laughs> it is time for a quick break, but when I come back, we'll hear Paul's harrowing tale of the first time he saw Alien. Not an alien, unfortunately for Paul, but the Ridley Scott movie, Alien. Then I will have one quick thing before I go about, ta-da, the one-year anniversary of this very podcast. So stick around to the end. Hi, I'm Jackie Cation. Hello, I'm Lori Kilmerton. We do a podcast called The Jackie and Lori Show, and you could listen to it anytime you want it because there's hundreds of episodes. Yeah, I mean, we've been doing comedy forever, and we should both quit. So why don't you listen up <laughs> before we leave this not only terrible business, but this awful world. And find out why we can't. <laughs> because we love it so. <laughs> Jackie and Lori Show, every week here on MaximumFun.org. Hi, it's Jesse Thorne, the founder of Maximum Fun. I am breaking into this programming to say thank you to MaxFun's members. Your purchases in this year's post-MaxFun Drive patch sale raised over $50,000 for Trans Lifeline. Maybe you already know about the good work that Trans Lifeline does. If you don't, They're a trans-run organization that offers direct emotional and financial support to trans people in crisis. If you want to learn more about the work Trans Lifeline does or support them further, go to translifeline.org. Thanks for supporting Maximum Fun. Thanks for supporting Trans Lifeline. And thanks for being awesome people who want to do good in the world. Welcome back to Feeling Seen. I'm talking with Paul Feig, the filmmaker who brought us Bridesmaids, Freaks and Geeks, a personal favorite, a simple favor, and most recently the show Welcome to Flatch on Fox, along with the movie The School for Good and Evil on Netflix. The man stays busy, so let's jump back into that conversation. You'll be very proud of me, Jordan. I've been I've been watching a lot of horror lately. Yes! 
Yep. I, and I watched like Hellraiser for the first time the other night. The Clyde Barker's yes. Hellraiser? Yes, which is a banana. I was going to say, tell me your immediate impressions of Hellraiser coming into that it's one. It's crazy, first of all. I mean, it's it, what I I find funny is movies that say, we're just not going to have any sense of humor whatsoever. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're going to take this so seriously and not put one joke in here, a moment of lightness. And- <laughs> And it, Julia, the Claire Higgins, Julia <laughs> yeah. playing that totally mm-hmm. fucking straight and just like she is giving an erotic thriller <laughs> bat like heroin performance, femme fatale performance in the middle of like a BDSM erotica <laughs> body horror movie. I know. I didn't think it was going to be so like such a sexual tale. I'm just it's like so Jesus. lurid. <laughs> it's hilarious. With the- you, if you like, if you liked how, if you liked that movie, I Hellbound, Hell Hellraiser Two, Hellbound is actually my favorite. That's the one movie. I'm going to watch next. I've always heard that's the best. Yeah. It's it's real because like I I love the first hub, but it's it's more Claire, it's Good. more Julia Higgins, Good. and we're hellbound, so we're going to the place, <laughs> and it's just like it, it kind of like it takes the perfect springboard of one and is like, and here's what you've been all waiting for, <laughs> and Ashley Lawrence is phenomenal, and obviously like oh the God. Cenobites. That's what I will say about the new Hellraiser is that the Cenobites. Uh, look as re- outstanding today as they did oh, good. Um, in the 80s. So, yeah. Oh, my God. I am so glad you finally got into mm-hmm. Clive Barker's It's all because of you. You you made me feel like I got to start watching horror. And now here, the funny thing is, because I was so afraid of horror my entire life mm-hmm. that now when I watch them, I, I had blown them all up. They're going to be so terrifying that everything yeah. I watch, I'm like, oh, cool. But that oh, that's not as that's not half as scary as I thought it was going to be, because I literally would amp myself up to think I would like die. It would be so scary I would die. (laughs) Well, like you said, you get so overwhelmed and if you combine that overwhelm with fear, maybe your heart will just up and stop. Well, the the only time I think I almost did die in a movie was... Um, <laughs> when in high school, first of all, the lead up to this is a horrifying story, but I will tell it to you anyway. Um, there's a, I, the, 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 it was in my junior year and there was a girl in my class who I really liked. And um, mm-hmm. I decided to ask her to the, uh, the Christmas dance, I think it was. And mm-hmm. so it might have been prom, something like that, a big dance. Um, and so asked her and then, so then the week, like a week before, like on the Monday before, um, my next door neighbor, Mike goes, there's a movie called Alien opening up <laughs> on Friday. We got to go to the opening, you know, night thing. I was just like, but I, I'm taking the, I'm taking Beth to the, to the dance. <laughs> and he's like, I don't know, man, this is supposed to be great. And I was like, what do I do? What do I do? This feels like something you would write specifically into one of your movies. Yeah. It sounds like a Paul Feig movie set. Yes, this is a, a Freaks and Geeks season two story. I, I think. <laughs> so I, being the sci-fi nerd that I was, go to school the next day and this whole, oh my God, this is so terrible. Go, go <gasps> like, oh, I'm so upset. My my parents, I have an aunt who's sick. They're making us go oh, no. and visit her in Ohio, I, I can't go to the dance. And she just like, this look on her face. I'm like, cause clearly dresses had been bought. I would say she's got no time to fix nothing. This. Oh no, totally. I mean that, and I'm, that's what a shithead nerd I was. Oh my God. And so I'm like, I, and then I'm walking around all day. Like I was looking literally upset. Like, Oh man, oh, my parents suck. <laughs> my fucking aunt, blah, blah, blah. I can't believe this. <laughs> You know, so so that's the setup. So now I get to go to Alien, <laughs> be like a sci-fi. You know, I don't know, like Close Encounters or something. Yeah, I don't know. It's at the time probably the most terrifying movie. 
I mean, I don't know. I it, that movie started, and I went numb, but with fear, <laughs> and it just like, oh my god, this feeling of dread of like, fuck, I don't like scary stuff, and oh, just no. them going on that planet and everything, you know, this dripping shit and all that, and that uh-huh. spaceship with the dead, you know, pilot that looks like you know, it's all Geiger kind of weird. Yeah, yeah. And my brain's just spinning out, and then here comes the egg, and I'm like fuck, and. I mean, it didn't let up the entire time. I thought I was no. going to have a heart attack. I was literally <laughs> in misery. It was so. Ter- you earned that. I earned it. You earned that for bad. I know. And then when I got back to school on Monday, the guy that she fortunately was able to get to take her, they were like boyfriend and girlfriend and they were kissing in the hallway. I was like, oh, what? I could have had that. And I had this terrible <laughs> night. So it was a, definitely a, a payback. So <laughs> There is justice in this world. <laughs> <laughs> you and but you were really Ridley Scott's target audience. Oh yeah, you were exactly the person he was hoping would be there opening opening night yep. to see Alien. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I was just absolutely traumatized. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so now when I watch horror, it's kind of like, oh, that's not so bad. But um, no, the one I, I really and I not to turn this to the horror podcast, but um, listen, uh, uh, not Inheritance. Um, what's the one with uh, Tony? Co- uh, yes. Hereditary, uh, that movie yeah. is fucking awesome. <laughs> yes, oh my god, I couldn't get over that movie. How good it was, and that there's, yeah, I like. I have talked to the Foley artist who did the piano one. Oh really? Effect. Oh my god. Yeah, well, yeah, that's him and a whole chicken <laughs> with the wires tucked underneath its wings, and him just sawing furiously. Oh my god, really? Oh. And then the requisite breaking celery for bones. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I love it a movie when there's something where I'm just like, I'm saying, oh, my God, for five minutes after it happens. That is, I feel like that's kind of, that feels like something about what horror can still provide now. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, as, we, as we are sort of saturated by spectacle and we have mm. to sort of find our moments of awe within that that might have come a bit easier before, I feel like horror is just still, unless you're just somebody who has become inured to it, like, there's plenty of people in, like, the mm. horror fandom who, like, it doesn't get to them anymore, but they're just so excited. It's like being on a roller coaster. Yeah. Like, there's something about, like, just, it's so fucked up mm-hmm. that it can still get to you. It yeah. can still sort of rip you out of your seat yeah. in a way that's like, oh, yeah, like, that person hanging out with that Transformer, that hangins, uh, that happens all the time. Like, oh, we're in Asgard kind of mm-hmm. thing. But horror can still make your brain shut off yeah. and just, oh, my God, oh, my God, and have to recalibrate your whole consciousness. Yeah, and I mean, and horror outside of uh, superhero movies is what's saving movie theaters right now. It's just it's great to elicit that kind of emotion out of an audience. I mean, as a filmmaker, that's all you kind of look for, whether it's doing it through comedy or doing it through twists or doing it through surprises. Like, that's the catnip where you're just like, oh, if we can have people go like, oh, my God, you know, then, you know, I've had that in a few of my movies. You're just like, you live for those moments, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I, I feel like it's very, I feel like it's very appropriate that somebody who, like, I, when you were watching Close Encounters, were you like, Take me. Aliens take me. Like, oh, I yeah. want to be picked by the aliens. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, my, you know, my nightly routine was for a year after that was I would go up on the roof of my garage with a telescope and <laughs> look for UFOs and wait to be taken away. <laughs> um, and I actually I wrote I have a, I have two young adult uh, sci fi comedy books out called Ignatius McFarlane Frequent on. And uh, it's all about a kid who sits on his roof every night waiting for uh, waiting for UFOs to take him away. And then he eventually gets tired of that and invents his builds his own rocket that blows up 
when he when he tries to do it and it it and it, it jumps him into a different frequency basically so he's in our you know in the same spot in our world but i always the, the idea is basically like you know the earth is like a giant radio and you can switch between stations but it's happening in the same spot so where we are right now there's an infinite number of things happening in the same spot on different frequencies so that was my idea that i came up with and then it's basically he's goes to this other frequency and finds it uh that a uh substitute teacher of his is there and has become sort of the king of it because he's stolen everything from all the ideas from <laughs> our so he's come up with like star wars and, and all of shakespeare's plays but he's selling them that is yeah. his own so he's this you know thinks he's a genius so anyway so i got i, I don't know why i brought that up other than it starts <laughs> with a kid who sits on on his roof with a telescope waiting for ufos it feels like destiny that you would go on to be the man who brought the world freaks and geeks. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, honestly, that it was, it was really just kind of my reaction to going like every young person I see on TV is like yeah. nobody I ever knew in my life, you know, who are so cool about dating and sex and all this stuff. And it's like, where's, where's my <laughs> nerds, man. <laughs> I was going to ask about that, like when you when you were when that was jumping off, like when you were conceptualizing Freaks and Geeks, if it was because you felt like that was answering to like a niche that was starting to exist of people that you did see on TV and that you wanted to see more of. Or if you were like, I feel like I don't see this these people and i need to see these it people. was exactly that i mean it was you know yeah. dawson's creek and all those things and you know and before that just every teen thing like even teen movies even things like, you mm -hmm. know fast times of ridgemont high and all that stuff were really fun but it's also like it's everybody everybody's having sex or talking about sex and stuff mm -hmm. and it's like we were too terrified i, I couldn't even ask girls out you know in <laughs> you know the thought of like and even when you did you'd go to alien instead yes, exactly so that's what i get you know but to me like kissing that would be like the most oh my god you're gonna kiss somebody so there's like wait how is everybody so cool they can actually take their clothes off in front of people and <laughs> have sex like how does that work so yeah for me it was just kind of like i'm tired of watching because i also feel like i don't know i just felt like it never i never related that stuff when i was a, a you know younger yeah. and i go like well younger kids must you know not, they're not all cool like there's gotta be some kids who are nerds like myself who are like give me something that's about my life so you know it was really just a total reaction to that i mean that's why the opening opening scene in a Freaks and Geeks is is starts out like a episode of Dawson's Creek, and then you go down under the bleachers and you actually find the real kids in the school. <laughs> <laughs> well, when when were you a dapper? Were you a dapper high schooler, or yeah. did the dapper come later on? No, I was dapper because uh, it, it okay. was it was disco era. You know, I was in I was in high school from seventy six to eighty, so that was the height of disco. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I was always like in a jacket and you know and but that was when you you put your collar outside of your jacket you know and you have this <laughs> oh silk shirts and these uh angels flight pants which are these big bell bottoms but with like cool platform shoes so <laughs> i really embraced that i was dressed up but then you know but then honestly you know when when we did freaks and geeks i just took my yearbooks into the costumers and said here's how we all dressed you know i didn't yeah. want to look like that 70s show because that's like a cartoon you know and, yeah. and you know all the burnouts just kind of dressed in you know old army jackets and then jeans and that kind of thing and that but then there was some of us who were kind of disco people around and you know but uh, oh, i no, love that you were a disco person. i know oh my god i was the king of the teen disco i tell you <laughs> <laughs> that to me incepts like your love of musical numbers yes in in <laughs> yeah oh no totally no i yeah, although ironically i didn't like saturday night fever when i saw it because it was again it was too weird for me i like the dance numbers and all that stuff but then i i, I just thought it was gonna be like a fun disco movie and then it's this really tough working class story and him 
because you were pregnant. <laughs> One of his friends commits suicide off our bridge. I'm like, wait, where's the disco dancing? What? Where's the disco? <laughs> well, I do you feel like as you have like it's like to to really break out with something like a Freaks and Geeks and then we're coming around obviously with the school for good and evil. Mm. And then you really like there was the, the like you kind of exploded an era of comedy with with your female ensembles mm. in the like early mid 2010s. Mm. How do you feel like, do you feel like you are, is there, are you still the outlier? Are you still the disco, <laughs> the disco nerd in high school? Are you still sort of Roy Neary looking up to the sky being like, what are the aliens going to choose me? Or do you feel like you found your spot in the terrestrial earth? Well, I mean, I'm definitely point. happy. Let's just say that I, I love making movies, Good. but I'm, I live in constant terror that I'm not going to be able to, to do it anymore. You know, if you, if something doesn't work, you know, it's always like, when are they going to go? Uh oh, he's lost touch or he, you know, he doesn't know anymore or he's, you know, he's, he, he doesn't have a commercial sensibility anymore, which is sort of the, you know, that's, that's the scariest thing. Cause once you, are accused of that, mm -hmm. then people are very, you know, reticent to give you money to do stuff. It, it, <laughs> what I found in this business, it, it, it always kind of makes me laugh, is I think the in, a lot of people in the industry are always waiting for you to pull one over on them. You know, ah. no matter how many kind of commercial hits you do and all that and trying to, to service that, there's always a feeling somewhere in the development process, somewhere in the getting ready of like, is he trying to make an art film now? <laughs> you know, yeah. one for him, you know, guys, I don't yeah. want to make one for him. I, if my movies don't make money, I, nobody's more upset. I'm more upset about it than you are. And you lost money. So, you know, <laughs> so, uh, but, but it, it's funny. So you really got to always be very um, diligent and, and just kind of always, but, you know, thinking about what people are going to respond to, but that's why I make movies. I don't have any yeah. desire to make movies that nobody wants to see, you know, or, or even that a small amount of people want to see. I, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a studio commercial filmmaker, you know, I, I'm, there's plenty of really cool filmmakers who will look at me and think I'm a hack or whatever, but it's just like, I just, I want to entertain the maximum amount of people. That's why I do so many test screenings, you know, and uh -huh. if something doesn't work, even if I like it, I go get it out of there because like the audience uh -huh. didn't like it. And, um, or just didn't respond you'll always leave in a few for yourself you know there's a couple sure, sure, sure. a joke here or there i'm like you know what i just know that's funny it makes me laugh and just leave it in because as long as it doesn't make the audience go like wait a minute this guy doesn't know what he's doing you know uh -huh. which is always the danger with with um comedy you know is yeah what my my editor from uh, bill kerr from uh, uh, bridesmaids he, he would just call it the angry villagers uh syndrome which is you know you start a comedy, everybody's there, they paid their money, they're excited, nobody's yeah. coming in going like, I hope this sucks, you know, <laughs> and so there they are, and so here comes the first joke, and it's like, yeah, and they're like, oh, that kind of wasn't that funny, but all right, <laughs> well, I bet, the, ne I bet right. the next joke will be funny, and they're like, um, well, that wasn't very funny, and then you get a few more <laughs> of those, and people go like, what the fuck, and we're losing the room, yeah, and then they light the torches, and the villagers burn down the village, you know, so... <laughs> So that's why we're always just like, if that's not, a, you know, it's got to be a triple or a home run, this joke. And if it's not, get it out, because it's better not to have a joke than have a joke that is lame. Well, I, I wonder then, are do you still in the way that like you just mainlined these sci-fi movies, at the theater growing up? Like, mm. do you do you still kind of 
do you still go to those movies? Is that still like a comfort space? Like is sci-fi sort of still like a home base for you? Or mm. is it is it like you obviously make a lot of comedy now? Like what do you is there a sort of home base you feel in cinema that you go to for that like, well, I'll miss prom for this? Yeah, I, I think I'm just always looking for something that's gonna surprise me. I, I you know, the truth be told, and, and this has is no judgment on anything, I don't watch any of the new Star Wars stuff. I haven't you know it's really good, but I haven't seen any of the TV shows. I, mm-hmm. I didn't see like the last couple of movies. I saw, you know, the first one with JJ did, but that was mm-hmm. kind of it. It, it, it. Again, no reason other than I just, I think I just kind of lost interest in, in it. And, um, you know, and sometimes I, I, I'm just, I just want what, what's, what's new that's going to surprise me. You know, that's why I, right. I get excited when like Jordan Peele has a new movie out. Cause I'm like, he's just so smart, you know, and he comes up with these, mm-hmm. these undeniable ideas that aren't expensive, you know, but they're just like, you know, like we were talking about earlier, they're just you're surprised by them and you're compelled by them. And you go like, I got to I, I got to go see that. You know, that's mm-hmm. really cool. But but, you know, it, it, and you always hate to be the jaded guy and go like, oh, seeing a movie is kind of a busman's holiday. But there is a little bit of that, because the more you know about it, you kind of watch movies yeah. in a way where you're kind of taking them apart. Unless a movie's great, then I'm just completely taken away by it. And I think it's why I've been having so much fun watching horror, you know, thanks mm. to you, because it's out of my <laughs> wheelhouse. And yet it's kind of going, and I just like, oh, I want to do that. I want to do that. That looks like fun to be in control of it. I like being in control of scaring an audience. I don't like being scared in the audience. Right, right, yeah. but I can sit there and go like, oh, there's a jump scare coming up or there's something that people are going to go like, oh my God. I just sit there like the cat that ate the canary, like waiting, like here it comes, you know, <laughs> fun. But when I'm sitting there like, oh shit, they're going to do jump scare. And I'm like, fuck, like, I'm, am I going to have a heart attack when this happens? <laughs> I'm very concerned with having a heart attack. I've always been afraid of that since I was a teenager for some reason. I always think like, someone's just gonna like, oh, and I'm going to down I go, you know, but uh, just keel yeah, over. That's exactly. it. His heart exploded. Well, then what with the, you know, like the seasoned filmmaker who can watch who can watch any movie. And I would imagine their director producer brain turns on and kind of starts like working through the sausage making machine. Mm-hmm. What is it uh, that you I mean, I don't know if you want to make a horror movie, but I do. you're enjoying watching yeah. them. Like, what is it that inspired what's that is that is inspiring you now to be like, I'm distant enough from this or I have not yet taken on this challenge to where I still feel the magical pull of this sort of unvarnished from my awareness mm-hmm. of how to put all the pieces together. Well, I think it's any genre I haven't done, you know, I mean, that's what I get excited about, you know, in horror. That's, you know, we're actually developing a horror movie in my in my company right now because we found this yes. book that we we um we optioned that hasn't isn't out yet, but it's really fun. But it, it, it I just anything I do, I have to make sure that I can make it funny, but not. A spoof. I don't do spoofs, yeah. but I want to make, you know, horror and, and comedy are so intertwined, you know. Absolutely. And so like it's a genre of timing. That's exactly it. Totally. And you're, and you're you're getting a huge emotion out of people. Like one of my favorite things I've ever done in a movie is in the heat. The whole sequence with the, the knife in the leg. Hey, just take it. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> pulling it out. And then, then I got to put it back in. I got to put it back in. What? what? I gotta put it back in, and I put my hands behind my back, and then when he gets close to me, I can grab him. But you gotta shut up. I'm gonna put it back in. Put it, just put it, put it, put it, put it, put it away. Oh my God! What are you doing? Sorry, just go in that fucking easy. Just, just shut up. Just shut up. Oh, 
I'm sorry. Like audiences were just, they were screaming and laughing at the same time because you're so horrified that she's going to, and then she does it and, and it doesn't stick and she has to do it again. <laughs> and I would just like sit there and like, I couldn't wait for that moment just to hear people have such a crazy big reaction that was like a horror comedy moment, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, oh, how do we get that feeling in there? But, you know, but it's all got to be, it's all got to be character. You know, it, it, you have to build these things like dramas. And then you with the comedy, you get the comedy where it can exist and not subvert the rest of the movie. And that's where I think a lot of movies fall apart when they try to stick in comedy is it's like, that was, you know, like that's the wrong time to put in a joke. That's not a good time. You know, I have so many things I take out of movies because they go like this just people don't want to joke right here. You know, this is going to mm -hmm. step on it. Um, but, you know, but you have to have some self-control in the, in that way because, <laughs> because the studio is always like, you know, and people in charge are always like, no, put that joke back in. And you're like, I'm telling you, it's not a good, I, you, I know you think it's a laugh. It's not a good laugh. Right. This is a, <laughs> that you will pay the price down the line for this laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing comes for free. Not even this. No, laugh. especially not laughs. <laughs> but Diner Do Musical, you know, a uh, big sci-fi epic. I actually wrote a sci-fi epic that I've been, desperately trying to get made but everybody thinks it's cost mm -hmm. too much every i write these scripts and everybody thinks they're too expensive and i'm like no i want to do i don't you know i, I want to do them good but i don't want to do them mm -hmm. for 200 million dollars i'm not crazy right no. right right you're like take your mind off of the sci-fi that you know is that expensive i'm not trying to do that. right i want to do something much more fun you know or, or monster you know, my monster movie the dark army you know which i, I can't mm -hmm. i can't seem to get get the studio to make um because they're afraid that's gonna expensive too but then i saw the ad for uh the marvel um you know werewolves thing and it's like that's how i wanted to that's i wanted to make like it look like an old movie and um so they did it and i didn't get to do it so but never, never say never, right? I, I'm, I won't ever say never because I'm still hoping for Spy Two, <laughs> and so I, and I, and I am obviously invested in a simple favor too. So no, no, nobody, the people who started the simple podcast never say never. <laughs> Excellent, that's why we are a believing demographic. Why I love you guys. Yes, you're here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have to wrap it up. Oh, I have to let you go, oh. and I, I'm very bereft about that because I just like sitting and talking to you. So oh much. my god. That was so fun. So yeah, too. You guys, if you want to hear Paul talk about disaster movies, you can you can look up Paul Feig's Disaster Girls podcast episodes. <laughs> this is the back door into more Paul Feig content. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> well, Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to come on another podcast of mine and talk oh. to me about movies. I really appreciate. Oh, it. Oh, my pleasure, Jordan. You're the greatest. I always love talking to you. <laughs> Well, I, I good luck out there with the release, and and thank you again for joining. My us. pleasure. Thank you. Thank you to my friend Paul Feig, uh, Disaster Girl VIP, friend of the show. The School for Good and Evil is streaming now on Netflix. And Paul also told us that he has a writing credit on a song from the soundtrack, Who Do You Think You Are? from Kiana Lede and Cautious Clay. So you can listen to that wherever you get your music. Uh, the man has the beat in his veins. He, he brings us music. He's a sneaky purveyor of, of musical film and television. So maybe maybe check that out. A little Paul Feig songwriting credit. Uh, and now, the one quick thing before I go. It is Feeling Scene's first birthday. We did it. We made it a whole year. 
The first episode of this show aired on November 11th, 2021. And man, what a great year, you know? We were recently nominated for an award at the National Entertainment Journalists of the Year. Um, We'll find out soon who those winners are. We started off this show interviewing Susan Orlean about seeing herself in Meryl Streep literally playing her in the movie adaptation. I mean, what a thing. Um, and I just can't believe all the wonderful conversations I've I've gotten to have with people. I'm I still uh I would recommend any episode at any time to anyone. As a as a former pod producer of mine likes to say, every episode is someone's first episode, and there's really no wrong way to start with the feeling scene pod. Uh I think so excitedly back to the conversation that I had with Isabel Furman when she was going for the Independent Spirit Award for her film The Novice. Um, recently, a tender and soulful conversation with Ryan Quantin um, that despite if you know him uh, best as Jason Stackhouse with his clothes off in True Blood, we peeled back some layers and we got to the heart of the man who's just really uh, a proponent of independent cinema at heart. We've talked to Eureka, the drag queen. We have talked to Ki Hui Kwan uh, at a time when I will say was the beginning of what should now be his march to a Best Supporting Actor nomination at the Oscars for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. It's just been the most kind and thoughtful year of talking to people and finding the ways that they relate to these things we all love so much. The whole point of this thing in getting it started was the thing we share, no matter what character a person brought to conversation, the thing we would share would be audience, me, subject, interviewee, whatever. The thing we would all share is the experience of relating. And in, and in many cases, um, the experience of, of not relating enough and having to find a way to graft ourselves onto fictional characters that are imperfect avatars. And then having a conversation about the power in that absence and the ways in which insufficient representation um, underserves the audience. It underserves the storytellers themselves. It, it is just, it is a beautiful time to be having these conversations when, when we have seen examples of more and better. But it is also, I think, a vital time to be having these conversations where we can understand the limits of what we have been been given what we have seen in this sort of rise of diversity on screen um, and see where we're still falling short and hear about specific examples and ways and personality traits and cultures and types of life that we are still yet to see more perfectly um, rendered on screen. People have cried. People have laughed. Um, I have had the most wonderful honor of getting to speak with people in moments of joy and moments of vulnerability about things that are important to them and a lot of times things that make them really happy. And that's exactly what I set out to do. And I'm really, really excited to keep doing it. I hope you stick around. Uh, if you're new here, I'm glad you found us. If you've been here since the beginning, you're the true rider dies. Uh, tell all your friends to come join because I think we're having, I know we're having really nice conversations. Um, with creators and and the people who comment on that creativity and and the whole sort of ecosystem of of stories coming to life, and I'm really honored by that. 
Uh, and yeah, I just I'm so happy about it. I'm so happy about this year. And I just want to do more and better for for you guys and for myself and for everyone. Uh, so thank you. Happy birthday feeling scene. I know you're all celebrating if you're listening to this. And uh, that's it. That's that's this episode. That is the one year. And I wouldn't have rather spent it with anyone than the dear and treasured Paul Feig. <laughs> the master of a simple favor himself. Um, and that's our show. You can follow us on Twitter at FeelingScenePod, or you can send us an email at feelingscene at maximumfun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Jorkrew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.